Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Our text for our sermon is the Gospel according to St. Matthew as recorded in chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. To remind you of that account, I shall read the first three verses. When Jesus heard that John was put in prison, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulon and Naphtali. He did this to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali, along the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, a light has dawned. This is the word of our Lord. Very recently in our history, a major website for news and a major news network ran with the story they had been sitting on for a while and had not been able to confirm or substantiate, yet they chose to report it as truth and they got busted big time. Our own intelligence community had to come out and say that report was wrong, a lie. Right now, if you watch the news, everybody's pointing fingers and claiming everybody is fake news because so many have been busted reporting lies to serve their own political agenda. And the scary thing is, is if that's your news source, you're going to vote by that tainted lie, right? You're going to believe that lie. People are marching out in the street in protest to things that didn't actually happen. It's amazing the impact of a lie, brothers and sisters in Christ. Wars have been entered and thousands of people have died because of one little white lie. Let me tell you about the greatest lie ever told who comes from the father of liars. He began with one little white lie. Did God really say, he asked Eve. And then the father of all liars told the whopper, you shall be like God. The irony was Adam and Eve were like God. They were holy. They were in harmony with God. They had done no evil, just like God. But then they thought that God was holding something back based on the devil's lies. All mankind fell. God would have to come and pull them out of the darkness. When he made the promise of a savior in Genesis 3.15, he put his Holy Spirit in their hearts so that they would believe. Since then, the world has been subject to decay. We are under the influence of the devil. And as Jesus himself says, if you do not believe in him, if you're not his child, his brother and sister, you are slaves to sin, death, and the devil. And the devil lies. He wants to keep you in slavery. He wants to get you back. And the greatest lie the devil has told is a lie about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments basically summarize what holiness is. But the lie he tells us is that you can make up for sin or earn your forgiveness and salvation by keeping those Ten Commandments. He doesn't care what degree you believe. If you think, I'll do my best and God will do the rest, or whether you think I earn it all, he doesn't care because he's got you. You're not trusting in Jesus 100%. So the lie he tells constantly is the lie that the, that, that the Ten Commandments are a means to earn your salvation. They never were that. They show us what God's holiness is. And he doesn't care what lie he tells it takes to get you. He will tell lies that contradict each other. 
I have had friends, I've, I've talked with people who, you, who are habitual liars, if you will. And there are times I, I, I've baited them in, I know they're lying, and I've actually continually thrown out an escape route to give them where they can confess the truth and leave. And it would be so much easier to do, and yet I've marveled at how they'll just tell another lie. Not even step back and say, boy, these lies contradict each other. And that's how the devil is. Anything. He doesn't care if you're worshiping God as long as you're doing it in a way that doesn't trust in Jesus. He doesn't care if you're worshiping a false God because then he's got you. He loves to lie. And that is the world we're born in, brothers and sisters in Christ. Scripture calls it darkness. John chapter 1 spells it out. This is a dark world. Imagine being in a basement with no windows that you had only seen for a second or didn't even have a chance to see and the lights are turned out and you've got to find your way out. And you don't know the dangers or anything up ahead of you. That's where we're at. That's why we can't make a decision for Christ. It's why we can't earn our forgiveness. And so we're very happy. We are very excited when we hear the good news. First, the law shows us our sin. And, and then the gospel comes and it tells us you can earn salvation, but someone did. God became a man. Bam! The light switch comes on. The whole, God sends his Holy Spirit to enter our hearts. So we believe that message. And now we have the true light in this world of darkness that is just enshrouded with cloud after cloud of lies. In our sermon text today, we see that Jesus is the light of the world. And we're told, when Jesus heard that John was put in prison, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Let's just stop there, brothers and sisters in Christ. John's put in prison by Herod Antipas. He's going to be beheaded eventually. Now, Jesus doesn't withdraw from that region to flee Herod Antipas, because guess who was also a tetrarch of the region where Jesus will spend most of his ministry? Herod Antipas. <coughs> But he, he leaves Jerusalem, he leaves that area, and, and it's about a year after last week's text where we hear John and Andrew uh, leaving John the Baptist, said he would become less as Jesus would become greater, and he loses two of his disciples who go off and tell their brothers and they start following Jesus. It's a year after that. And it's very interesting, if you have been attending our Isaiah Bible study, you maybe are thinking, Zebulon and Naphtali, that was to the north. That was the northern region of what was once the nation of Israel, Guess who conquered that nation and those tribes and was the first region to go down? The Assyrians. The Assyrians conquered them and hauled them all off and filled it in with people who were not Israelites at all. This was a region that had been chasing after false gods and God chastened them severely. But when we fast forward 700 years later, we find a mixture there. He did this to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, a light has dawned. He doesn't just come for the Jews. He comes for the Gentiles. Jesus doesn't spend all of his time in Jerusalem, which you think he would, because that was David's capital city. Don't get me wrong, he will die just outside the gates of Jerusalem. But he spends his time in the area that had been humbled the most, the first to be conquered by the Assyrians. And it's full of confused Jewish people. Remember that if Jesus were to work in Jerusalem, spend the time he did in this region where he spends most of his ministry, 
He would constantly have to deal with the, with the obstacle of the Sanhedrin. The very people who were supposed to be making sure that the Jewish people were looking for the coming Savior and trusting in Him for salvation, they themselves were leading them into work righteousness. And they hated, they hated the idea of Jesus. They hated the idea that He said, I am your righteousness and there's no other way you can be righteous. They hated it so much that they plotted His murder. So Jesus goes to a region that's it's got Gentiles in it. And it's got Jewish people. And all of them, even though the Jewish people have the scriptures, they've all been tainted just as you and I are living in the world with this idea that you earn your own salvation. And it's lifted up. The light is not just for one person. He's the light of the world. Just as the sun rises and comes up and and gives heat and everything, Jesus sheds the light on us and he does it through his word. Notice that Matthew mentions that uh, the prophecies are fulfilled. God doesn't just shine light on you with his word. He shines light to show you and you can trust in the word. Look at how my word hits it with 100% accuracy. And so we can trust that word that Jesus is our savior. Even though the lie that is whispered in our ear every day is one way or the other, you got to earn your forgiveness. You got to be good enough. You got to be nice enough. You got to be friendly. No, it's all a lie. And only the light of Christ coming through his word sheds light on that and shows us. So the main message of Jesus is given to us in verse 17. This is the summary of everything he taught. From that time, Jesus began to preach, repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is his invisible church. It's his kingdom of grace. It's his rule in your hearts. You are part of his kingdom. Now, we can be confused on what repentance means because in the Bible, the word repentance has a narrow meaning and a large meaning. The narrow meaning is being sorry for what you've done, right? And an unbeliever can do this. An unbeliever can swindle their neighbor and find themselves in jail for it and be sorry because now they're sitting in jail in a very hostile environment. Say, boy, I sure wish I hadn't have done that. The wider definition, and I always say the Greek word that is used for this in the New Testament is metanomoio, and it means a change of mind. So here's how it works. God comes with you with the light of his law, showing you you're a sinner, showing you can't earn your forgiveness. You are not holy. That's what his law says. You're not holy. You need somebody to be holy for you. You need somebody to save you. And then he comes with the light of his gospel. The good news that Jesus became a man. He was perfectly holy in our place. He lived in our place. He died in our place, suffering the punishment we deserve. By the way, it looks like he was murdered, but he did that voluntarily. He voluntarily gave up his life and then he rose again for you. And when you hear that message, Jesus sends his Holy Spirit into your heart, creating a new man in you, a new woman. We call it the new man. And so now you have this light. You have the sinful nature, which loves the devil's lies, the lies of the world, and will embrace every one of those lies it can. And you have this new person in you that is alive in God, that is God's glory, that is the Holy Spirit living in your heart, so you actually believe. Now that law that used to condemn your sin, that law for you tells you how to thank and praise your God, not to be saved, but because you are saved. It's a change of mind. And yes, even the law that your sorrow for sin stops being, I'm just sorry because I might have to suffer the consequences in recognizing I'm not going to hell. It's against the loving God that I sin against. And so we don't want to sin. And there's this battle between this split personality in us. 
We have a change of mind because we have a new person and he clings to Christ, not to his own power, to beat down that sinful nature. And when the sinful nature gets his sucker punches in and he does just with our own pet sins, the change of mind is we say, thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness you've given me. And when we win against that sinful nature, we say, thank you, Lord, without your Holy Spirit in my heart, I wouldn't even care to fight this battle. So we have this change of mind. We trust in Jesus, not the work of our own hands, not the good things we do. We trust in Jesus for salvation. And instead of viewing the law as how we butter up God for forgiveness, we view the law as something God's built into our heart to glorify him because we're already saved. We won't get this. No other religion teaches this. Sadly, too many Christian churches get this wrong. Cults based off of Christianity will turn you into your own efforts time and time again. Jesus is the light of the world. He brings us to true repentance because he sheds his light upon us. So now let's get to what happens with those that do have the faith. And we look at the call, the official former call of the apostles. Now let me tell you a side story about darkness. Monday I leave for Denver, God willing, with weather and everything, for the missionaries conference. And I have driven so many times to this conference, both at this call and other callers, on horrible roads. And because of the lateness when it gets out, I've driven in blizzards, blizzards on my way home. I've scraped down the road and and scratched down the road and, and felt the snow scraping on my floorboards and praying, Lord, let me not get stuck as I gun through this snow drift. And the only way I knew I was on the road was reflector posts. My headlights reflecting off those. Thank God I'm on the road. And where I used to serve, there are a few roads I took that would be a little safer, but, but they didn't have those delineator posts. And there was no reflection. And I remember one time going, Dear Lord, let me not end up being that person you hear about where they find their car four, away, four miles from the road in some farmer's field in the spring, wondering how in the world they could have possibly got there. Reflector posts show you the road as they reflect your headlights. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do. So we're told from uh, in verse 18, As Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting nets into the sea since they were fishermen. He said to them, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Now, they had been following Jesus for a year, kind of coming off and on, but here he makes it very clear to them. And their call here is to be apostles. And you notice in their case, what he directly is calling them is to abandon what they did before, their earthly vocations, because he was going to send them out to shine his light like reflector poles. And by doing this, they would see the light, people would see the light of Christ and come to believe in him. This makes them Fishers of men. And we hear the same thing about that other disciple that left John the Baptist in last week's text to follow Jesus. We're told, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. Jesus called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus called them, they left their earthly vocation and they left their family behind. Now, in those two brothers' case, we know their family was very supportive. Their mother often followed Jesus around as well. These were men were called to be apostles. God had called them to that specific office to be fishers of men. Now, you have called me, it's called an intermediate call to reflect the light of Christ. 
I always have to stand in amazement as I think about that. When you had gone vacant and you made your first call, the first pastor you called, if you had called me, it would have been very difficult for me to get out of, out of Burke and get here. God postponed that and made the timing work just right when you called me. So as an intermediate call, you guys are the ones who called me, but God was working behind it and blessing it. And what did you call your pastor to do? To study the word of God to, so he could teach and preach it. So that is my call. But don't kid yourself, brothers and sisters in Christ. You're not called to be apostles. You're not called to be the pastor at Lord of Lords Lutheran Church. But God has called you. And he's called you to be fishers of men. In St. Peter, we learn in his first epistle that he's made you priests. Now today we're going to use that concept. What does a priest do? A priest sprinkles the blood, announces forgiveness. You reflect the glory of God in your daily lives. And God doesn't expect you to leave your earthly vocations to do this. Unless you have a vocation that stands against the Ten Commandments, he actually calls you to reflect his light at work. Now, what does that mean? The light can be too bright. Some people are zealous for the Lord. I, I, I've worked around people where the other co-workers call them Jesus freaks because they're just everything. They're shoving Jesus down your throat is how they view it. That's not reflecting the light. Whether you're a plumber or a carpenter or a nurse or a teacher and go through all the vocations, you're a Christian in that vocation. And you often don't realize how God's glory, how his grace shines through you in your honesty, in your kindness, in your love, that his Holy Spirit is empowered for you. And yes, before I was a pastor and as I studied to be a pastor, I worked in very blue collar fields. Now I say I got to do the most evangelism. Now I, I do the most nurturing, but then I did the most evangelism. It often amazed me how co-workers would come up to me and say, uh, Fred, you know, I, my loved one has cancer. Fred, my wife and I are really fighting. Fred, and, and how God then opened up a door for me to point them to shine the light of Christ on them, to show them God's love, to announce the forgiveness, to show them the way that he can bind them together. Well, that's you and your earthly vocations. And your earthly vocations are not just your jobs. He calls you to be mothers and fathers, aunts and uncles, grandparents, all these things. And you don't even realize it, how much you reflect the grace of God, but you actually reflect it the most when he gives you the opportunity to tell someone, Christ has taken your sins away. So in our text today, verse 23 says, Jesus traveled throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Notice how teaching and preaching is listed first. This is predominantly what Jesus did. He healed people's diseases and, and did miracles to confirm that he was the Messiah, that he's true God. But what really shed the light without it, you're lost. What really shed the light was the teaching and the preaching. The miracles confirmed what he taught and preached. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, in our text today, we see that Jesus is the light of the world. He brings us to true repentance, which means putting that new man in us so we trust in Jesus for our sins. We think completely different about salvation, about sin, and we look at the law now as our way to praise and glorify the Lord. And that ties right in with the call of the apostles. We, ref we are reflectors of his light, like those, like those delineator posts on the side of the road show you you're still on the road, you're safe. You reflect Christ's glory, who is the light of the world, so that all the people of the world can see where the road to salvation is. Jesus and only Jesus. Amen. And now the brilliant light of Christ will continue to shine in our sin-enshrouded hearts, and his light will continue to guide our feet into the path of peace. Amen.